Welcome to the fourth episode of In the Village, a Prisoner Introcast. This week we'll be doing Checkmate. But first, my name is Shane, and joined as always is my good friend Bob. Hello again. Aaron. Salutations. And John. Hello. We haven't we haven't got a guest this week, unfortunately. So you, you're going to have to be just stuck with the four of us. Deal with it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hopefully, everyone's had a good Christmas. Um, however, it's not for us because we're recording this on the 21st of December. Hello, future people. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Uh, we start as always as with the uh, synopsis. Um, this is actually from the TV Time synopsis because TV World on the original 1967 broadcast didn't have a billing. So, TV Times time synopsis is as follows. Chess is a game of subtle moves and the prisoner wonders just what they are aimed at when he takes part in an unusual game being played in a village. The board covers the whole of the courtyard. The check pieces are human beings. Their moves are being indicated by two men in charge and the prisoner takes his position as the queen's pawn in more ways than one. But it's a dangerous game, and he can he cannot hope to win. Uh, before we get started, it was actually this episode was actually originally called the Queen's Pawn, and not Checkmate. Uh, but we are open, and of course we have a new number two as we seem to do every single week, and it is played by Peter Renegard or Vanguard, and I'm sure I'm going to get complaints about pronouncing his name wrong. Uh, he was more famous actually after The Prisoner when he starred as Jason King in Department S uh, and Jason King himself. He got his own spin-off. Well, good for him. Indeed. Indeed. But uh, we start the episode uh, with Rover bouncing down the hill. Boing, 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 boing. Mm. Once again, you know, Rover does his whole roar thing and everybody just stops moving. Except for the one guy who doesn't seem to care. Yeah, and number six spot is him, and he, and he's, um, <coughs> and he's been invited to the game of chess, the very very unusual game of chess, and a human being game of chess. In fact, the best kind of chess, particularly if you go see one at a Renaissance festival. Yes, mm-hmm. indeed, and. Um, the, the queen and number six gets in, in a bit involved in a conversation and it's pretty obvious that the queen is a prisoner as he is um, the, uh, uh, go ahead go, sorry, go, go. sorry. Um, I think this is really the first episode we've seen where they start making the distinction of who's the wardens and who's the prisoners inside mm. the village yeah uh, definitely um, we see the butler with his trusty umbrella, and he's the um, person who's at the top on a little chessboard doing the moves himself. And then we have the rook, who decides to move without orders. And he's been taken away to the hospital. Now, with the, uh, with the rook moving on his own, it seemed like um, he was getting impatient with the game. It's like yeah. one of those things where you're on the outside and you can see the move that he needs to make the win. Yeah. Like number six seems to be somewhat talking with, with the queen when he says, I know a better move. Now, I'm not sure if that was actually referring to the game or if that was him making broader conversation about trying to escape the village. I think he said afterward uh, the better move would be moving away from here. Uh, this is true, yes. Yeah. And so we got the and um, the man with the stick had the conversation after the game wondering why he number six still cares oh sorry number six is wondering why the man with the stick still cares after all this time um, uh, did, did we get to see his number no he's he's, he's um, in the credits as as man with stick hmm. so if if we saw his number, I didn't actually write it down. So I know through this episode they keep calling um what fifty eight rook 
Yeah. Yeah. Again, he's not down at 58 in the credits. He's down at Rook. Yes. Yeah, they also, um, during the conversation, um, he points out that uh, they can't tell. When the, when the human pieces are on the board, they can't tell what side they're on. Yeah. That you have to, uh, the person giving the orders has to be able to uh, uh, distinguish um, himself, which is his pieces and which aren't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we cut to um, the next day. And we see number six walking down, walking down, and he's uh, seen by number two. Another mini moke that we talked about that we talked to end the thing last time round. <laughs> and um, in fact, he um, Peter uh, Winnegard or there um, never actually appeared on location. It originally planned that number two would be seen on location in the Port Marion suit. However, however, it is impractical to book a major actor over such a long period for both interior and a very, very brief exterior shoots and never bothered. That's interesting, because my impression of this episode was that I liked number two, but he wasn't really in the episode all that much. Yeah, I think for this number two, actually, for me, I actually felt like it was a number two, and it may have just been the voice seemed to fit the role that number two gets like, you know, that kind of that deeper bass voice. So that I kind of really like this. I think this kind of has jumped to one of my favorite number twos, at least in terms of voice. And I know that's kind of a really random stickler of a thing, but well, he seems like more of the, uh, um, more willing to pull the strings rather than get his himself involved. Yeah. And I like that he had a personality. You know, he was, doing the karate and asking not to be disturbed while he was doing that. And he was, yeah. you know, getting in this scene we were just talking about, he was getting uh, number six to join him and going to the hospital to check on the rook. Yeah. So he yeah, was yeah. sort of getting number six to play along with him a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really sure the whole, uh, Pavlov thing they were trying to do in the, uh, the hospital. They, they, it wouldn't have worked that that quick, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, talking of, the very, very interesting line done by the, um, uh, I was going to say the female doctor to the nurse, saying, um, I don't think you worked with me before, you know not to talk to the patients. Maybe first day on the job? Mm. Yeah. Quite, Maybe you know, another prisoner who had uh, uh, medical training? Possibly. But yes. Uh, so, what do you think of that scene where he's trying to get water out of the uh, um, containers and it never quite worked out? I think this is the most, the most I've felt for a prisoner. Like the previous, the previous scenes we've seen in the hospital, I'm kind of like, okay, I don't feel bad for you, but they pretty much have forcibly dehydrated this guy. Yeah. And this, this, this was the this that this moment I was like. You guys are really jerks. Yeah. Like before you're kind of just okay. You're kind of a nuisance, but that's kind of a that's kind of a jerk move to put it put it nicely. That's a jerk move. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, electroshocking a guy until he does what he want what you want him to, and then oh hey he's cured. I mean that's pseudoscience magic. Yeah. And then why did they show this to number six? Is this supposed to scare him? Possibly, yeah. I, I felt like they were just uh, gauging his reaction. Mm. Yeah. Because they've, they've, oh, uh, well, the reason why I say this is Dr. She's actually a psychiatrist, and apparently it was originally meant to be a man. Um, so he, so we, we cut, and he's just... Number six is just wandering around um, the village trying to figure out well it seems to be trying to figure out who uh, who are the prisoners and who are the warders. Well, even before he leaves, this is jumping back since I, yeah. uh, we, uh, I just talking about him, them showing this to him. I just, I kind of had to, had to think, laugh. They had this conversation about like, about 
the nurse makes a comment about how number six is interesting and she'd like to see his breaking point. And he's still right there where he can hear it all. It's, they don't even care anymore. Yeah. At this point, they, I feel like they just, they just don't care or she's either that new. It just, I had the chuckle and I'm thinking he's right there. You want to talk about him behind his back when he's right there. Really? Yeah, I know. He says something as he's uh, leaving. It's like, uh, you're welcome to try or something like that. Make, you can make it your life's ambition. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think point goes to number six on that one. Yeah. Get some ice for that burn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. And then, as I said, when you see number six following the rook, and he seems to be on all over the places, and the rook is running away. Because he thinks number six is actually a guardian. Um, did we did we skip over the scene where the um, what was it number eight was following him? Oh yeah, that was right. That was, yeah, that was right. That was a lot earlier on. Yeah. Yeah, right after the hospital. No, that was actually before the hospital. Oh yeah, the, the first time he went to the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. When she, when he's trying to convince, she's trying to convince him that they want they should be joining up, and he's having none of it. Completely um, disregarding the female species yet again, just like we've seen in previous episodes. So not, so not much change there, really, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, he uh, doesn't really have a high esteem for anybody, so I, I don't think that's a, a big shock. No. Yeah, uh, so, let's say we... So, uh, yeah, so... Number six is being quite nasty to the rook in the little scene when he's talking about the technology that went astray. You know, putting his authority all over him. Yeah, he just kind of badger the guy until he starts mm. talking. Yeah. And then they, uh, what, he uh, invented some sort of um, uh, communication tracking device or something? Yeah. That would have that brought um, world peace, apparently. Of some description. So yeah, um, that that does raise a question because the guy the guy makes mention that he uh, uh, that, uh, he was going to give it to everyone, but yeah, uh, uh, they, they caught him and then like immediately afterward the plans got leaked anyway. Yeah. So why why keep the guy there? Very good question. Uh, I don't have an answer to that, Bob. Do you got a theory? No, and, and unless they're somehow worried about him exposing what happened, but I don't know particularly why that would concern them. Mm. And usually, no, what well, I don't know what it's like over there, but when it happens like that, the British press are all, all over over here. And quite a few times it's been in the national newspapers and on TV that a high-ranking government official has left confidential documents on the chain or the books. So, uh, so we cut to probably either the same day or the next day, not quite sure. Um, and number six and then the rook are having a conversation. And control um, and the supervisor notices that they're having a conversation. And they talk about escaping... However, as soon as I have uh, soon as the control decides to turn the sound on, they seem to be talking about the game. Yeah, I like how the, the head of the statue had to move before they could get audio on. Yeah. You know, you'd think that, I mean, this. I think this just goes to show the, the, the differences in the times to where they actually had to, they had two separate channels for audio and visual, and they yeah. had to key both of them on to be able to get that as to where now it would just be, you know, automatic. Yeah. And you would you would thought, um, you know, because obviously we're seeing it from one angle, but the, the, the microphones in another place. You would have thought they would be in the same place at the same time, mm-hmm. as well. But it's primitive. It's primitive technology in general, though. I mean, they're using magnetic tape reels. Yeah, we've That's seen true. matrix printers. <laughs> That's true. What are you talking about? This is this is the most high tech stuff ever, Bob. I mean, seriously. <laughs> Hey, Star Trek just, was using tape reels. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was this this scene here when when they're when they're recording that I really started to wonder 
what do the guys in the spinny chairs do? Are they, do they actually look at anything, or are they just filler to make the room look look more menacing as a control room? Maybe guys- it's punishment. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh well, you you screwed up today, so you get on, you get like half an hour on the spinny chair, staring 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 at a blank two. screen. Yeah. They put all the new, I mean, old you- number twos on the on the spinny the number, chair. The number twos in training. I mean, what do you need? You need one guy watching what's going on and pressing a button to get Rover. Yeah, I can see. I can see about all those people at the back, you know, monitoring all the different cameras that surround the room. But those two people on that tilt, that titty totter thing going up and down, I haven't got a clue. I, I, I hadn't really thought about it, but then when they're staring, when when I just they they they, they go to the audio between the rook at number six, I, I just noticed them in the court in the side of the screen. I'm thinking. Are you guys actually doing anything? Mm. Like you, 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 they, you, they go into frame, come out of frame, go into frame, come out of frame, and it, they're just sitting there. And it makes me think: Are they doing anything? And what are they looking at? Or is it just just to make the room more menacing and fill it out? That was just the first time I really thought about it. Was this scene? Yeah, yeah. Um, they do come in useful. That's all I'm going to say. They do come in useful. Um, but. Uh, next thing is that the um, number six on the rook are uh, trying to work out who are the guardians and or guardians slash warders and who are the actual prisoners. And um, they come up to first of all, they come up to the gardener. Um, did, did anybody think that that was a little too easy to determine who's who's the warden, who's the prisoner? I mean, it's just like, oh well, you go up and talk to them, and if they they act like jerks, then then they're wardens. If yeah, you know if. If they actually look at you in the eye and have a conversation, then they're prisoners. Mm. Uh, we got to have a Deus Ex situation just to move the plot line along here. I think. Yeah. Even though that, fir- even though the gardener who um, who was a ward or ward of super, you know, um, had a bat badge on. Not saying anything on that. I'm just putting what? it out there. Wait, did he? Hmm? Uh. Well, they're all supposed to have numbers. Yeah, but the gardener didn't have a white badge; he had a back badge. Not sure you can, you can only see you can only see it for the briefest um, amount of seconds, but it's there. Huh? I'll have to go back and look at it later. Yeah, and the uh, one the cup to the painter, he's he's I believe he's only yeah he's only got the white badge on on his hat. So, yeah. The rook reacted to number six by running away and being scared. Yeah. So, you know, if that's the way that a prisoner reacts as opposed to a warden, well, the other guys aren't reacting like that. That's true. Yeah. I would like to point out that uh, before, whenever we've seen, like, any of the maintenance crew or any of the the groundskeepers, they've always been the same guy. Mm. And this time, they're, they're a bunch of different people. We see, like, three or four different people who are, like, groundskeepers or painters or electricians. Yeah. So that throws my clone theory out of the window. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we, we, had a, we had a long conversation about clones before this podcast. We won't go back into that. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, I just have. Go ahead, Bob. Uh, no, I was going to say there is a lot of job turnover in the village. It's not just number two. I just have to say the the little the little chasing between the rook and the rook and number six. I I swear they they did that on purpose just to have him slowly popping out of the bushes at that one scene just just for a for a laugh. Yeah. I really I really wonder if that took more than one take just because of how funny funny it is to me as a viewer. There had to be some sort of some some sort of laughing, but just for the actors there, just just number six kind of popping out of the bushes and staring at him. I, I feel like there's no way that he could have kept a straight face for the first take of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course, the rook and the number six wants to inspect the village shop's books, even though they've never been um, looked at before. Uh, it's the same shopkeeper. Yeah. yeah, I was about to say that's the same shopkeeper from before that sold him the map. Yeah, I exactly. guess he does his job good enough not to get not to lose it. Yeah. 
God, something. Yeah, but before he was running like a general store, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. So, um, uh, so number six gets the entire gang um, together. Uh, number two and the supervisor obviously know what's going on, but no, there's no sound because the microphone's kaput. Uh, so uh, next thing, cut, and he's brought number uh, number two's brought number six uh, to the hospital to go under um, um, the word um, association test, which brings up a few surprises like hope, anchor, local pub he used to drink at, <laughs> and nice little call back to a previous episode three for all. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So uh, next, next thing that we see is that they've brought the queen into the hospital to do some bit of brainwashing. That that is probably the single most cruelest thing I think they've done so far. I mean, just to screw around with people's emotions like that. And then, kind of disgusting. Yeah, telling telling her that number six loves him and he loves her and gives him the locket as well. Yeah, it's it's one thing to make somebody fall in love with somebody, but when that somebody is number six, it's even worse. (laughs) Yes. Indeed. She's not going to get anything but abuse. No. Well, in his defense, she does go full-on creeper later on. Well, it's because she's programmed that way, right? Maybe. Uh... Yeah. Well, yeah, so, we, so we've got the, the second scene of uh, him, of her chasing around after him. In those damn taxis. Again. Yeah. I know, I know, but if it's good, to, if, if it's good enough for the Welsh police forces, as we said last time round, it's uh, good enough. Good enough for the village. Exactly. I don't know. I mean, if she's trying to be, you know, inconspicuously following him, you know, she's yeah. honking the horn all the time. <laughs> the whole yeah. thing, she's doing nothing but honking the horn at him. I know. Though I did think it was interesting how him and the Rook were going around stealing components from the village. Yeah. And, you know, you'd think that they would have, you know, if this place is all about, you know, breaking people and getting, you know, Big Brother is watching you and all that jazz. That they would have, you know, overlap on cameras, but no. I know. Absolute, absolutely bizarre, but yeah, so we've got the... Also, I think that was the only camera we've seen that's not like hidden in something, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because they steal the camera, they steal the phone, um, and still a few other bits and bobs to make that little transmitter. Well, to be honest, that phone didn't have a cord on it. It was just asking to be stolen. <laughs> <laughs> that's what a lot of devices are for. <laughs> that's true, but yeah, I think I I think we could. Well, I think because they, you know, they've got CCTV everywhere. They think, well, if we see someone stealing a phone, we can just go after them. But and then we cut to uh, at night, and yeah, the uh, the day for night shot. No, I was I was going to say inside the number six's apartment. Oh yeah, with super creepy hot chocolate. Yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And the Queen is crying and number six has none of it. Even though he does um see does seem to um play along a little bit. You know, he doesn't he doesn't um shout at her as much as he's done with the maid in previous episodes. So I so I, you know, I think number six knows she's not compass mentors. Yeah, I think that was part where he started realizing that there was um, that they'd probably done something to her. Yeah, yeah, he's saying like, "Who made you do this?" Yeah, so he's aware that something's going on. Yeah, and one of the things that McGowan wanted, he was unhappy with like 
people like James Bond sleeping with every woman woman they met. Yeah. So he wanted something very different from that. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Definitely. We'll, we'll cover that quite a lot more in detail in a future episode. Yeah. Uh, then we cut to the beach, and um, number, number two was telling the rook, um, you know, hopefully you don't have another relapse. Um, you know, and if you do, you should go straight back to the hospital. And the rook is building the transmitter inside the little tent. Yeah, no, that doesn't seem the most secure place to be building a uh, secret transmitter. Is you know a beach tent really? They're, yeah. They're check inside a beach tent. Well, it's true, but you can't see CCTV inside the beach tent unless they have X unless the cameras are X-ray, and we don't and we haven't but we haven't seen that yet. So yet, yet. I'm sa- yeah, I'm saying nothing on that. <sighs> ah, damn it, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, um, but yeah, number six uh, realizes there's something going on with the queen and takes the pendant away. And the control realizes the pendant is stopped transmitting, and they go into a bit of a panic. I would like to point out how high tech that was. You know, if she's close to him, we got a blinking light. If she's not close to him, there's no blinking light. Yes. So you know, <laughs> I mean, were they panicking the whole night when she was sleeping at her own place? I mean, was there, was there like a, you know, did they like send in people to check on her? I mean, also, uh, the Rook talks about how he needs more transistors to fix the the thing. And then he gives him the lock. He's like, oh, this is all I need. Okay. That's not a transistor. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But the plan is a go-go. And he gets, number six gets the gang together. And tells everyone that they should meet at sundown or since and it seems to be that the painter is still painting exactly the same position. Yes, he's at the exact same spot. He, he Ex- needs to get that one piece of rock perfectly painted. Indeed, yes. It's like the Sistine Chapel. He's just got to yeah. work on it until it's done. Yeah. Then we cut to the, that day from Night Shot that we were that you were talking about earlier on. And it's really they, obvious day for night shot. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, seriously, you guys couldn't like just wait until like dusk and film, or did no? Just slap a blue filter on it; it'll be fine. And um, and he number six sends a sends a, um, a stress call. That was actually I thought that was actually pretty clever using the the wax paper to mimic static as he was yeah. talking. And uh, the distress call is answered by the MS Pelosca. Because that's not suspect at all. They pick up the uh, MS Pelosca and uh, they send a distress, distress call saying that they were uh, a plane that was going down. And number six sends the rook out on the dinghy or the life preserver. Um, to find the ship. Probably the, probably the only mistake number six has made in this episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then number six runs back uh, to the uh, to the yeah. village. Yeah, the rest of the crew. And they go and attack uh, number two. Yeah. Yeah, I found that pretty hard to believe that, you know, like half a dozen unarmed people could take over the Green Dome. Yeah. And we see number six in, um, it looks like he's in in karate setup. Yeah, just random karate gi. Yeah. Got to break a board for no reason, I guess. Uh, To quote... Uh, when the uh, quote when the actor asked for some direction in his role, Patrick told him to play as himself, and Peter trusted the star's judgment. An addition to the script was number two's karate chop, which McGowan wanted the guest to do for real. Uh, I practiced every hour each morning 
Pat-loved authenticity, said um, Peter. So, so, so he actually broke that board. Yeah. So, that's okay. Just, just because they told him to wing it, be himself. So they told him to wing it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, He'll be fine. No, um, I, I think they were trying to go for, at least to me, it seemed like they were trying to go for, uh, like, there's more going on to the number twos than we just get to see. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it also seemed like when they when they took over the Green Dome and they, they tied him up, like, they were setting up for something, uh, like, he was going to use, like, the karate <coughs> moves to break out of the rope and fight number six, but it didn't happen. I was disappointed. That was what I thought. Also, I thought it was going to come into play once we saw him use the karate. Yeah. Um, a note um, on this episode was that the uh, the number two, number two's living number two's living space uh, was starting to show tones of wear, and silver coating covering the entrance door started to bubble and distort. What? Never. Mm. Yeah, but um, everybody overruns the green dome and starts and starts to tie up number two with rope. Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't there be like uh, guards or something? Mm. Well, the, the front you wouldn't have thought the front door would open. Yeah, what about that statue from earlier, like the other episode that the statue that just stopped him? I thought that was just for, I thought that was for town hall, not number. That was that was home. that was Ten Hall. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm making yeah, number, yeah, number two's house is a different place than Town yeah. Hall. Yeah. Then the <clears throat> transmitter stops stops transmitting. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Problem. So number two runs out. So number six runs out, and he just finds uh, the the dinghy on the shore. And he sees a light in the distance, which which assumes to be the ship. So number six sees a chance for freedom and decides to row it, um, go on his own. Uh, he didn't really question what happened to the, the rook at that point. No. Uh, he just kind of, oh, well, it's here. The transmitter's here. He's not here. I'm not even going to bother looking for the guy. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, number six. Um, Quite a good oarsman, and he rows. He uh, goes all the way over to the ship. He rows all that way with a stick. Yeah, and he and he uh, gets on board the ship. Only to find out, um, by the lovely TV that greets him, it is in fact belongs to the village. That was one of my favorite lines. The the Palatska is our ship. Yeah. It shows that the conspiracy, you know, goes even a little further than we've seen. Because to me, the escape attempts don't really get interesting until he gets by the first line of defense. You know, it's presumed that he's gotten past where Rover could get to him by this point, for example. Yeah. And But it still turns out not to matter. Yeah. And Well, they, they kind of set that up as a surprise because when they're talking – before when they're they're monitoring the the their first uh, mayday transmission, they're talking about how uh, um, they're the the signal's been picked up by a, a the Palaska ship, and that you know it's a it's a mayday for a crashed airplane, but it's outside their thing, and they're scanning for it on the radar. It's like so they're they're setting up the expectation that it's not their ship. They are, but number two also said, "Well, let them handle it." So maybe you know, maybe it was their ship. Yeah. Well, didn't number two say it's one of ours? I thought. Uh, no. Uh, no, he doesn't. He doesn't mention that until he's on the TV. Yeah. Yeah. He, he just says that them handle it, which kind of implies it's their, their ship without actually stating it. Well, it could be it's their ship, or it could be that they don't think the plane has anything to do with them. So let them handle it. Could be either yeah, way. That's true. Yeah, I think that was the, the expectation is that they said it ambiguously, so you could you could read it one way, but it really means something else. Yeah. Uh, so number two launches rover, and 
number six can't steer, can, can't steer the ship. And Rover um, pushes him back to the village. And that's where the episode ends. I would like to point out, we kind of skipped over the two fight sequences that are in this oh, episode. Oh, yeah, we, we, yeah, we did. We, uh, uh, the spotlight the, and then spotlight the Spotlight and the, the one on the boat, and the one on the boat, yeah. Oh, they're there just to fill time anyway. Mm. Yeah, but he totally threw that guy off the tower. I mean, that, that guy's not getting up. He's dead. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not all that comfortable with him knocking people off boats either. He's tried that a few different times. <laughs> oh, at least they can, they can survive that. They can float. Yeah, yeah. I think this is like the first episode we see where he straight up murders a guy. Yeah. Oh, the one thing that we I, that we I did I didn't mention at the very very end is that the boat they're putting the pawn back on the board. Well, yeah, and I I don't know if these two scenes are connected, but at the very beginning when the butler comes up and he sits down the chessboard and he starts moving the chessboard. Mm-hmm. Um, He's kind of doing that independently of the game that's on the field because the, the two people who are playing are up on the chairs and they can't see the chessboard. Yeah. And then we see when we're talking, when one of the last scenes we see number two and he is talking uh, to six over the radio and you see the chessboard laid out there and his pawn piece is missing. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, if, they're, if they're setting up for the expectation that he was almost out. And then they were able to break him back into the game, or I don't know. It's just that read I got off of it. Possibly, possibly. Has anybody got anything else to say? As I just double check my notes. One thing I couldn't mention until now is that when I did go to Port Marion, and again this was many years ago, but the chessboard is still there, and they do do you know live reenactments of chess games with human pieces. Do they have those big sticks? Yes. Nice. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Um, but we'll we'll discuss that and what else they do in the Port Marion in a much, much, much later episode. Such a tease, Shane. Yeah, I know. Um, the Amask Pulaska was a local boat. A boat. Uh, it was home. Um, by a Harold Beer for, of Meridoc, whose wife Marjorie was an extra on the series. Well, yeah. good way to use your resources, I guess. Yeah. But uh, if anyone else has got anything else to add, or... I'll take that as a no, then. No, I got nothing. Cool, brilliant. Well, we'll go to this lovely little advert for an amazing Doctor Who podcast that I've been listening to for years. So, here we go. It's funny how some days work out. You wake up, get dressed, wrestle the tube to get into work, sit behind a counter dealing with stupid people and their boring problems, and then a time traveller in a police box turns up and whisks you off into time and space. Come on, Jaden. TARDIS is waiting. The Doctor's universe is insane. Good thing I've got some insane people to see it with. There's Destina, a time lady who seems like she's young, but she's really not. This is stupid, Destina. Oh, you shouldn't be following Daleks into some secret hidden lair where you're likely to get yourself exterminated. Because that's what Daleks do. A crazy computer that lives inside Mary Poppins' parrot-headed umbrella. But I want to take me somewhere <laughs> Not to mention the creepy visits we get from Death. Grim Reaper himself, who seems to have gone a little weird, if you ask me. I am not an apparition, I can assure you. I am the undiscovered country from whose born no traveller returns. Then there's a doctor, that mad, insane Time Lord, who's been travelling around the universe forever, fighting all number of monsters, villains, and God knows what else. So, Jaden, are you coming? Come on, Jaden. I promise you, you'll love it. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Do I 
sign on to an infinite universe full of wonder and magic and things I'd never dreamed of? Like you even have to ask. Doctor Who, The Crossover Adventures, an unofficial audio series available for free download from iTunes or crossovers.org. And we're back. Hopefully everyone enjoyed the ad for The Crossover Adventures. Please, please check them out. They are an amazing, amazing show. Um, Race Against Chime uh, is amazing. Take that from me. Anyway, uh, two emails, and we've got quite a few this week. Uh, first off, we've got one from Dan Wilson. He, Dan writes, this is my favorite episode so far. After three episodes of watching number six to try to run, fly, or boat to freedom, we finally see him attempt a bit of strategy. The chess metaphor was chess metaphor was laid on too thick for my taste. But it was good to see number six attempting some chess-like maneuvers, even though he remains at the end, in the end, a pawn in somebody else's game. Uh, who wants to go next? We're all pawns in a game of chess anyway. No, that's true. That's very, <laughs> very, very, very true. That's very, very true. We've also got an email from Harold. Ah, from Harold, and it reads as follows. This was the most straightforward episode yet out of the four that we've seen. My favorite part was when Six realized he could act like an authoritarian figure and get away with it since most of the residents of the village have no idea who was who is which side. I hope to see more of this in future episodes. I like this week's number two, but sadly, he did not get much screen time or get to do much. Most of the action came from his subordinates. I also didn't think the escape plan was likely to succeed, even if Roquette and double-crossed him. Eight out of ten mood lockets. Harold. Thank you, Harold. Yeah. I really like that one of the things that tripped number six up was that his personality was so obnoxious that they took him to be a warden. Yeah. And we've got one last bit of feedback, which is uh, very, very long as all of this, from Sergeant Drano. And I believe, Bob, you have that. Okay. From Sergeant Drano. Meant to rewatch this episode, but haven't had time yet. Some thoughts off the top of my head. I like the number two in this episode. Seems pretty competent. Those red socks are a bit odd, though. For some reason, this number two reminds me of a vampire. Number six's plan in this episode reminds me of something said in the previous episode, Free For All, where during the truth test, number six is told that he is planning to lead an organized breakout. This is it. I love that number six collects a team in this episode, and we see coordinated and effective efforts to thwart the village and accomplish their mission. Almost worked, too. They freaking took over the Green Dome, which I still don't believe. Oh, it wasn't Uh, too difficult. Yeah, I like that we got. I like that we get a good look at one of the surveillance cameras in this episode. I love when our team disables it. Camera two, kaput. Number fourteen is a cool character. I love the sequence in which he teaches number six about the psychology of prisoners versus wardens. Since it is clear that number fourteen has been in the village a long time, this helps place the ordering of the episode prior to any any other episodes featuring other characters called number 14. One of you was hoping to see the ex-admiral who had played chess in Arrival, since this is a chess-oriented episode. Sorry, since this is a chess-themed episode. Well, he actually is in this episode. If you watch carefully, you can spot him in the background on the beach as number six goes to meet with Rook. The shopkeeper in this episode is also the same shopkeeper who gives number six the map and arrival. I felt like number six was unnecessarily dickish to the queen. It's pretty tragic how the queen was brainwashed and manipulated. She really did want to help number six, even at the beginning. Since, since it seems clear the queen, number six, has been in the village, sorry, since it seems clear the queen, number eight, has been in the village longer than number six, this again helps place the episode prior to other episodes featuring characters called number eight. Nice callback to free for all during number six's word association, psychological test. Fantastic episode. Definitely one of the best. In my opinion, I give it nine out of 10 white Queens rock substitutes. Sorry. 
White Queen's Rook substitutes. White Queen's Rook moves without orders. Call the substitute. The substitute. 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 Call the substitute. Thank you, Sergeant, and everybody else that left feedback this week. Yeah, thank you. And of course, you can always email us at the prisoner at the prisoner intracast at gmail.com. That's the prisoner intracast at gmail.com. And you can also leave us, uh, you can also go to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash prisoner intracast. Um, so, next, well, what the episode that we're doing in a fortnight. And the episode is. It has a title. We swear it does. <laughs> the Charms of Big Ben. Oh, cool. That is the one that Nutty accidentally saw, so she'll be yeah. back caught up. Yeah. It's about time, really. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is listed as the second episode in release order. It certainly is. Yeah. You can, yeah. Nutty, Nutty um, saw this as the second episode, so you'll you'll hear on her feedback, uh, her reactions as if it was the second episode, because she's already left us for us now for that. But, um, John, Alan, what do you think Charles of Big Band mean? Uh, it's going to involve a clock. If it doesn't involve a clock, I'll be severely disappointed, which is why I enjoyed this episode, because it did involve a chess game. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hopefully we can get um, clocks, maybe a bell, perhaps something to do with inexorable fate, I guess. I don't know. Any other guesses? Not really, no. No. There's a facsimile of Big Ben in the village that we've never noticed before now. Really? Is that going to be one of those things that's going to show up in one episode and then we're never going to see it again? Yeah, 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 probably. <laughs> so we're, never, we're probably never going to see number eight again. <laughs> we're never going to see that like chess whatever, game ever again. It's like whatever you need turns up in Sunnydale when you need it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, so moving on to ratings. As we haven't got a guest this week, I'll let you go first, Aaron. Mm, uh, I think this is personally probably my favorite episode. Um, I'm not going to give it a ten because that's just that's just kind of I have an issue with giving things perfect ten out of tens. I blame the gaming industry for it, but I definitely give it I definitely give it a nine uh, nine nine chess pieces out of ten. Um, I really enjoyed this episode mainly because it actually seemed. To advance, it really just seemed to kind of give Six the greatest hope possible and then totally crush him. Does that make me evil? Probably, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> John? Uh, I really liked this episode. Um, it showed a lot of the inner psychology as to we're finally just showing who's, you know, who's the, the wardens and who's the prisoners in the village. Um, I thought that uh, this is probably one of the better episodes we've seen. Um, so I'm going to go with probably 8 out of 10. Uh, mood lockets, just to be going with the theme, I guess. Cool. Or transistors. Yeah. 8 out of 10 transistors, because they showed no transistors in the episode whatsoever. <laughs> uh, Bob? Um, I liked it quite a bit. I, I like the whole chess theme. Uh, like Aaron, I like that the escape started to get a lot more interesting than the escape attempts in the previous episodes. Um, I like number two. I thought he was pretty cool under pressure. I like that he had another side of his life where he did karate. I like that he was calm when he was getting tied up. Um, I The stuff I disliked was kind of the manipulation they were doing both to the guy with the uh, water dispensers and uh, to the queen. Uh, but overall, I thought a very strong episode. I'll give it uh, eight out of 10 mutinous rooks. Cool. Brilliant. Um, to me, this is actually the first episode of the prisoner I ever watched. Uh, I knew of the prisoner. 
but I never actually saw actually saw an episode. So um, I bought a I bought uh, a random VHS, and this was, just happened to be the first episode on that VHS, and I got end up with the service. So I'm going to have to give this um, nine beach huts. And it was all downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed, indeed. Um, but uh, before we go, we want to give a, uh, a shout out and a big thank you, as always, uh, to uh, Do Not Forsake Me and My Darling, who, provide, who allowed us to use their music as our opening um, theme. Uh, and as always, you can find their music at do not forsake.com. That's do not forsake.com. But if anyone else has got anything else to add before we sign off, um, I would I just like to point out that this was probably my favorite number two to come up in the, the series so far. Mm-hmm. Cool, brilliant. Well, we'll speak to you next year. Jacob, bye, everybody. Be thank you. Bye. Bye, everybody. Uh-huh. <laughs>